0: Well, good morning, everyone. If you brought a Bible with you, I would invite you to find Romans chapter 12 as we continue in this series, this sanctification and service of the saint, unpacking the Christian life. And I'm subtitling this message, Life in the Vice, so to speak. One of the privileges that I have... And I have had in years, the last several years particularly, has been to encourage young pastors. And not just the young pastors in our engaged network, but I was just thinking in a cursory way the other night and I just thought of five pastors who I am, uh, that are not uh, necessarily, some are, some are actually in this area, but some are not in this area, some are far from this area, whose lives uh, I've had the privilege of pouring into. There is one that, and really just a, and God just continues to enlarge my heart for these men, their ministries, and some of them really struggling, and I don't know what it is, I just get, have a, sometimes an overwhelming burden for them in their lives. There's one particular pastor, and a friend of mine, who, his, his ministry is incredibly burdensome right now, incredibly burdensome, and then to add to that, he is not the most compelling preacher uh, there ever was and in fact uh, I happen to know somebody in his congregation who was telling me this here recently um, And then he said this he said but pat he said uh, uh, The best sermons he preaches are between uh, Monday and Saturday And you know, I know that as a pastor that would almost be you mean you don't You're not compelled by the preaching you know? but he really gave him a great compliment of how he was living his life under incredible duress. Uh, Seeing that so many preached Christ and so few lived Christ, the godly Robert Chapman, a 19th century preacher, said, I will aim to live him. And one great theologian of that day, speaking of Chapman, said, He lives what I teach. And of course, Paul said, to, for me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. In Romans chapter 12, we have this, what live is Christ actually looks like. It's sort of unpacked in this person, so to speak, if you could just put a, yourself in this and ask yourself, if, this, if you look anything like this passage, none of us look like this perfectly. We, we've already conceded that. But this is what the live is Christ looks like. And so, beginning in verse 9, again, this is what it says. Let love be genuine or unhypocritical. Live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. But leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So where we left off last time is where we pick it up this morning as we unpack this thing chunk by chunk. And we're looking at one verse and three lines within that one verse, verse 12. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. I challenged the missionary men the other day with this question, and I want to lay it at your feet as well as sort of a start to this message today. I want you to go back in time in your life to a time of darkness, to a time of sorrow, to a time of incredible stress and or pressure in your life it might have been days in which you were living in sin for some of you you're there right now you're in that day it might for some of you have been a time of sudden unexpected loss or a protracted loss you just saw it coming 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 until it finally occurred for some of you it was a death of a child, or a wife, or a husband, or just somebody dear to you. For some of you, your loss was divorce, your job, a friend. It might have been an illness or some. Remember this is the sanctification and service of the saints. So in some area of sanctification, some struggle with temptation in your life, you continually succumbed. You can you continually capitulated, you continually gave in. And again, some of you are there right now. Be truthful. How did you how are you responding? As we, I presented that to the missionary men last week. Uh, one of our oldest missionaries, who I, I've never, I've never seen him weep, but I've known him for over thirty years, his lip began to quiver, and he said, "I'm there now." He was referring to the illness in his wife's life. Are you so in the thick of your hardship right now that you're having? trouble finding your way out of it? Are you under such pressure, such stress right now that you're having a difficult time breathing, spiritually speaking? Well, this one verse is an encouragement for you and for me. And the lines within the verse virtually give us the outline. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. So, let's just look at these line upon line, because I want to give you an opportunity to to sort of unpack yourself today. And that, that might mean for some of you, you're going to find somebody to pray with you. You're going to find somebody to be humble with you, to bear your burden. Paul says, rejoice in hope. So it begs the question what are you rejoicing in? Tomorrow's Monday. You're going to be back to work, back to the grind, back to the vice of that mean boss, that incompetent coworker, those ridiculous hours, the overtime, the travel, the pressure to produce. But Friday's coming. The trip to the cabin, to the game, to watch your favorite team, watch your kids play, go visit your sister, go shopping. We've all been there. Some of you there. You're there right now. It's not wrong. You're rejoicing of some near future thing, right? But I remember reading some time back about a man who's... Family had literally been rescued from a situation like some of the Christians are enduring right now in Syria, and some particular country, for his faith in Jesus, that is. And the people he was staying with were actually laying out his and his wife's schedule for the next week. And he became so overwhelmed, he just broke down and wept, and they wondered why he was weeping. And he... He and his wife both said this was the first time in years that they were able to think beyond the day they were living in. That's not my world. I'm guessing it's not most of yours either. But oh, the wisdom of such a life, right? Sufficient for the day, right? Jesus said. Don't boast about tomorrow. You don't know what a day may bring forth, Solomon said. And James said your life is what? It's like a vapor. So he says... To us here, rejoice in hope. To rejoice, the word means to be cheerful. It speaks of some, the inner man, the inner you, coming out regardless of your circumstances with, a, with words and with a countenance that can bless others in spite of your struggle. And it's present tense, which means you don't get a day off on this. I mean, one day, uh, several years ago, a woman showed up in my office, and she literally was at the end of her tether. She pled with me as if she was the only person in the entire world that was going through what she was going through. Not knowing that sitting right across from her, three feet away, was somebody going through almost exactly what she was going through. She just didn't know it. She didn't know what was going on in my life. My heart was absolutely breaking at that very moment. Worried, concerned about something in my own life. And, you know, she, on the other hand, was hopeless. She needed somebody to put hope in her. It wasn't time for me to say, whoosh, you think you have it bad? She was hopeless. I wasn't hopeless. I was down. I was concerned, but I wasn't hopeless. She needed encouragement. That is, somebody to put courage into her. And Paul is saying, this is the kind of thing that you have when you have hope, and I'm getting just a little bit ahead of myself. If you can't rejoice in your circumstance, you can rejoice in your hope. The great Greek scholar Kenneth Wiest paraphrased this this line, rejoicing in the sphere of hope. That is the atmosphere of hope. That's the idea here. Like a fish needs water, joy or rejoicing needs hope to be alive. And if if you turn back a few pages to Romans chapter 8, here's what it says. And I think we got the words up there, don't we? Yes, Romans 8. For for in this hope we were saved. Now he's going to define this, what this hope is. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? Rhetorical question. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. <clears throat> so there you have a virtual biblical definition of what it means to Hope, and to rejoice in it. Hope then is, listen to this, hope is possessing in the present a guarantee of future reality. That's what it is. Possessing in the present, right now, the guarantee of future reality. Because we are a people of promise, are we not, after all? Right? Right? He says we rejoice in hope. Okay, so again, begging the question, what is your hope? Or to put it differently with a different inflection, what is your hope? Well, you say, you know, my hope is Jesus, you know, his return. And we're told, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. But if I asked you, if I asked you what that hope consisted of, that is, heaven, when you think about it, what is that hope? What does your hope consist of? What does it have in it? And you reply, you know, seeing my wife again, seeing my husband again, seeing my child again, seeing my sweet mother again, uh, being delivered from the pains of hell may I suggest to you, that's not enough. In fact, wonderful as those realities may be, if they are your hope, you are insulting the very glory of God. Jesus Christ is our hope. And this is what John means when he says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. And that's what we are. He wants to shake us with this. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. That's hope. That's blessed hope. And in the meantime, that very hope is intended to change us. That is the possession, the the right now of your future, guaranteed reality of no more trials, no more pain, no more sickness, no more rejection, and Jesus can deliver you from your overattachment to your wishes in this life I know that because the verse that I the verses I just quoted in 1 John 3 are followed by this and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he's pure so if this Hope that you are hopefully rejoicing in is yours. That you are looking to Jesus, for Jesus, to be with Jesus. And it's changing you. It's changing you. It's softening you. It's making you more holy. More like him. Until we are like him. I uh, had a good friend several years ago. When I was a very young pastor, my kids were really young, had no issues with them. They were all such little darlings. And there was a woman in the church that I was pastoring who was just, she was kind of like, her and her husband were like the Aquila and Priscilla to my life. They were so indispensable to my ministry, discipling people and just wonderful. But she was in the back of the foyer and she was weeping her eyes out. Her teenage daughter had just really gone hard stage left and just very darkened world. And yet she was being greatly used of God. So she's feeling the, you know, the heaviness of hypocrisy. You know, here I am, I got a daughter that's not living for Jesus, but I'm trying to help others and whatnot. And I'll, and she had a life-changing experience. She had an old man in the church. He was in his 80s. He came up. He saw her crying. put his arm around her, and she spilled her story. And uh, she, he looked at her, and he said, what does Proverbs 22, 6 say? Now, I know that theologians and pastors like to interpret this about 15 different ways, but let's just take it for what it says, okay? It says if you train up a child in the way he should go when he's old, it won't depart from him, right? And so he quoted that to her, and then he looked at her and he said, Is she old yet? That's all he asked. And he walked away. And her life was changed because in that word, he put hope into her. And you know what? It would be five or six years before that woman would turn her heart to Jesus, but it's been 20 years since, and she loves the Lord Jesus today. Rejoice in your hope. Be patient in tribulation. That's the next line. Patient in tribulation. Out of our hope, a kind of divine ability is given to us to bear the load that we must carry. And make no mistake, we must carry these loads. They are given to you by design. Be it because of your choices, and in many cases it has nothing to do with your choices, but it's a load and you must bear it. He says, be patient in tribulation. The word patient is a, a word we're familiar with. It's the word hoopameno. The word meno means to remain. Hoopa comes underneath. So it carries the idea of, of remaining under the load, so to speak. Bearing up under it. We talk about people that are under, the circumstance, under their circumstances. Well, that's, that's probably several of you. He says, be patient in tribulation, and that word means to be pressed. It means to be squeezed, and it conveys enormous pressure. Hence the subtitle of the message, Life in the Vice. Now, I could summarize from virtually dozens of missionary stories and godly pastors and Christian workers and servants of God who... who righteously and humbly endured under enormous pressure. Somebody just gave me a story just the other day. I, I haven't listened. I'm sure it'll move my heart. And we need to listen to these stories. And I could describe the, the struggle again of the modern-day persecuted church, which is arguably more persecuted today than ever in the history of the church. But I'd rather illustrate it with you. I'd rather you illustrate it, because some of you are under tremendous pressure right now, and it's a burden too, too hard for you to bear. Now, I just said you have to bear your load, because that's what Paul says in Galatians. We gotta, everybody's got a load you've got to bear, but in the same breath, he says sometimes we can't bear those loads, so we have to bear one another's load. And you feel squeezed. And you feel alone. I want you to know that you're not alone. Even though you are squeezed. And under pressure. I want to put courage into you. Because Paul says to be patient. Bear up. Under the pressure. Listen to what Jesus said to this church. The Smyrna church. He said... These are the words, the first and the last, who died and came to life. I love the way Jesus describes himself. He's saying, look, I died, I came to life, you died spiritually, you came to life spiritually, you will rise again. And he says, I know your, what does he say? There it is. I know your pressure, I know your squeezing, I know what's happening to you. Your poverty, but you're rich. I mean, they had to be thinking, are you kidding me? And the slander of those who say they're Jews, but are not, but of the synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Look at this. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and for 10 days you will have, say it, tribulation. He doesn't say... I'm coming to the rescue. You're not going to have to go through this. No, he says, you are going to go through it. You will have to endure. It will, however, be a short time. Be faithful unto death. I will give you the crown of life. He says to this great church, he who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Now, this passage of Scripture, as you go back to is really harkens us back to Romans chapter 5. When he says, rejoice in your hope, be patient in your tribulation. We saw this, but let's just go back there because it's sort of a recapitulation of what he said earlier. He says in Romans 5 and verse 2, he says, He says, Through him we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces, say it, hope. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us so the themes of hope and patience seem to run through the scripture I want to give you a dose of Charles Spurgeon this morning and it's just good stuff so just drink this in will you he asked the question are you asking the reason for this trial believer look upward to your heavenly father and behold him pure and holy do you know that you are to one day be like him will you easily be conformed to his image will you not require much refining in the furnace of affliction to purify you will you will it be easy an easy thing to get rid of your corruptions and make you perfect even as your father who is in heaven is perfect. Next, Christian he says, turn your eye downward. Do you know what foes you have beneath your feet? You are you were once a servant of Satan. Some of you still are. He writes, and no king will willingly lose his subjects. Do you think that Satan will let thee go alone? No, he will always be after you. For he goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Expect trouble. Therefore, Christian, when you look beneath your, yourself, then, after you've looked beneath yourself, then look around, look around yourself. Where are you? You are in an enemy's country, a stranger and a sojourner. The world is not your friend. If it be, then you are not God's friend. For he who is a friend of the world is an enemy of God. When you sleep, think of yourself as resting on the battlefield. When you walk, suspect an ambush at any any moment around the hedge. Lastly, look within yourself. Look into your own heart, he writes, and observe what is in there. Sin and self are still within. Ah, he writes, if you had no devil to tempt you, no enemies to fight you, and no world to ensnare you, you would still find in yourself enough evil to be much trouble to you. For the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Expect trouble then, but don't be despondent on account of it. For God is with you and will strengthen you. Ligon Duncan wrote, there will be some things that will never be rectified in this life. Now, I know that isn't like, boy, that was the shot of encouragement I needed. But it's true. Some of you are suffering some physical malady, and you're thinking, well, we're just praying that God will do a miracle. Well, I got news for you. That probably won't happen. But it might. It's not that God is unable. But if you're, I love what Patty Miller said just the other day, she's got cancer. She's in her 80s. She doesn't really see a whole lot of purpose in God doing a miracle for her right now. She has only got a couple of years to live anyway, one way or another. I said, I love your attitude. I can endure. I have hope. I can rejoice. And she was rejoicing. She was being patient in her tribulation. There are some things that will not be rectified in this life. Much as you would like them to be. It is reality. It is life. And it's one of the many reasons God says, You've got hope! It's way beyond this life! If you have it. And until then, Paul says, Be constant in prayer. This is not a message on prayer. In fact, I want this to be the final part of our time together. Be constant in prayer. The word constant means to be strong. And like the other verbs in this passage, it's present tense. Jesus said when you pray, you pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Right? Right? Your kingdom, come. That is, as Christopher Ashe put it in his commentary, the fundamental prayer of God's people is, your kingdom, come. And come, Lord Jesus. Until then, we pray. We lay our burdens at the feet of Jesus. And we see fit to trust him whether he changes those burdens or not. Sometimes he does. And he only does it if it will give him greater glory. That's it. He doesn't do it just to make you feel better or to change the marriage situation or to, or to straighten that kid out or to fix that stupid boss of yours. He does it for his name's sake, always. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Why? For his namesake. That's the reason God does things for us. To make himself greater and more glorious. And sometimes, sometimes that means we have to continue to suffer under that load. And when we suffer righteously under that load and we rejoice in our hope and we're patient in our tribulation, we remain constant in prayer, then he is more greatly glorified. His name is higher, is lifted up much higher than if everything is just glass in your life. It's just the way it is. Dr. Raymond Edmund was a young missionary in Quito, Ecuador, back in the early last century. Just got married. In fact, his wife, actually his wife had just had their first child all excited about the mission field. And he came up with a tropical fever that would take his life from this world. And as he lay there, he began to reflect upon his life very young. His wife had her funeral dress prepared while her husband was dying. The casket was cut out for them. Well, he lived... And he would eventually become the president of Wheaton College. And he would be one of the greatest mentors in Billy Graham's life. And when he preached his last message in chapel at Wheaton College in 1967, the last scripture to come out of his mouth were these words. Be still and know that I am God. And he turned and collapsed and went to see his king. And he would, so just imagine being a student that day. He loved to preach about the presence of the king in his life. Until he went to the presence of the king. And he used to tell his students no matter what's happening in your life, keep your chin up and your knees down and be devoted to prayer. And God will help you to rejoice in hope and be patient in your tribulation as you remain constant and devoted in your prayer. Will you pray with me? Now, as everyone goes to prayer right now, there are going to be several individuals who I asked who are going to literally encircle this entire sanctuary Just stay in prayer. Keep your heads bowed right now if you would, please. And they're going to be standing both in the front and they'll be standing in the back. If they're standing, they're there for you. And we're going to sing in just a little bit. And I'm going to ask you, I don't care what burden you're bearing, I want you to get up where you're at and you find one of these individuals standing at the front or in the back and just go to them and just Ask them to pray for you. You can be specific, as specific as you wish, or as general and vague as you wish. They will put their arm around you and they will pray for you. So if God has spoken to your heart, there's some area in your life you want somebody to pray with, we want to pray. We want to bear that burden for you today. So Father, I know that there are burdens right now represented in this room. I know of some of them. I can see the faces of some who are hurting. And we want to help them. Lord, we know that the greatest help has already come in the Lord Jesus, who died and rose again for us. And there are people in this room who've never trusted him as their Savior, who've never bowed their heart to him, who've never acknowledged their sin, who've never believed in his death and resurrection for salvation. And if that's you, dear friend, this is the time to do it. You could do it now as you pray, or you can go talk to one of these individuals and let them know you want to be saved, as people have been doing for the last several weeks. But more likely, most of you have some burden you would like someone to help you bear. And I'm going to ask you to be humble enough to come and ask for that help, because we want to pray for you. Oh God, I ask in Jesus' name that you will enable us by your Holy Spirit to rejoice in hope, to be patient in tribulation, and to be constant in our prayer as we wait for the resurrection of the dead and the words of our Savior who will tell some of our friends and relatives and loved ones who've gone before us, come forth and the rest of us will be caught up together with him. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.